And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whatever the case may be on this rotating globe. Welcome to the other side of midnight and a new year. Tonight is the first night of the new year of 2023. And our program this morning, or this evening, whatever, is going to encompass what kind of has trailed off at the end of last year, 2022, and what could be coming in 2023. And what we're going to do is we're going to approach this from several different directions. We're going to approach this from the physics, um, better known uh, on this segment of tonight's program as uh, hyperdimensional astrology. Our first guest is Rick Levine. And he has been looking at the celestial configurations, the alignments, and you know from past history on this program that those things do have an effect. The question, of course, is how precise and specific can you be? And we're going to spend the first uh, few minutes of the show talking about that. And then in the second hour, uh, Steve Bassett is on deck. There have been some major behind-the-scenes developments in the UAP, UFO, government, slow, creeping, agonizingly rusty disclosure process. And there's a lot of, let me try that again. There's a lot of disinformation out there from mainstream outlets, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, uh, Washington Post. And there is a letter which has been making the rounds from one of the inside players who was very, uh, uh, pivotal and uh, uh, particularly uh, relevant in the early uh, years of this latest disclosure phase back uh, in 2017, 2018. So Stephen has actually written an editorial and he's going to be uh, referencing that tonight. And then in the third hour, we have uh, a lot of members of what I'm calling the Enterprise family who are researchers and colleagues and uh, investigators and friends of the show, uh, people who have been stalwart and supported us all these years, and every one of them has an opinion or perspective or an analysis of what could be coming in 2023. So, and as you all know, you know, we're not dealing essentially in what is colloquially termed mainstream politics. We're looking at things that are out of the box, things that have extraordinary high leverage potential, uh, not the least of which, of course, would be the general acknowledgement by government and media sources that we are not alone, that we are living in a very inhabited galaxy and the solar system is rife with all kinds of visitors, um, not quite sure where they're coming from, not quite sure what their intentions are, but there is ample evidence that uh, there's a lot of stuff going on that the mainstream media is not covering. In fact, uh, per Stephen's input, you're going to hear about some actual rather intriguing efforts by the mainstream media to downplay everything and pretend it's not there and it will all go away. I want to start tonight, if you can refer to uh, the section of the website where we have something we call Radio with Pictures, uh, I want to direct you, for those of you who are new to the show, uh, you're listening to us on some device, obviously. Uh, so what you want to do is you want to click on the um, uh, URL, which is our homepage, theothersideofmidnight.com. Theothersideofmidnight.com. Uh, click on tonight's banner, which says with a very elegant graphic that I blatantly stole from uh, a 1930s movie, of things to come in 2023. I've always loved that graphic because it's so evocative of uh, what we're talking about going on right now. And you click on that, that takes you to the guest page and under the, where it says right under the banner, which duplicates at the top of the guest page, uh, where it says of things to come 2023, the enterprise family under that, it says to listen to show. Below that it says guest page and then fast links to items. Click on my name, which is the first one there. That takes you to the appropriate section of the guest page, which features items for what we call radio with pictures. Last night, actually twice last night, uh, repeating from what happened on the NBC television network a couple days before, 
Um, NBC ran, NBC News ran at least twice on MSNBC and I think at least once on the main broadcast network, a special which was called very provocatively Battlefield Space to the Moon and Beyond. And I'm got the whole thing up there. It's posted on YouTube, so you can watch it if you missed it on uh, on, on television. Did not record it. In fact, I missed it because there was no pre-announced publicity. They just suddenly put it up there. And fortunately, I was able to go to the YouTube page for NBC and find it. So that's the link. It, I wanted to see what the network, what one of the main broadcast networks take on space that has happened in the last year and space to come in the next year uh, would be from NBC News. And it's very interesting because their angle of attack, their input, their their approach to the whole subject was basically we should be getting ready for battles in space. Now, nowhere during the program do they mention ETs. They're basically the big bad guys are uh, the Russians and the Chinese. But there are all kinds of inputs from the uh, Space Force people, from NASA, from astronauts, from uh, Bill Nelson, the administrator of NASA, from political people, um, a lot of Pentagon input uh, that basically we're at war even now in space in an invisible war and that what has happened is that the the the, the background machinations of battles in space between participants from Earth has been moved from, as one of the uh, interviewees said, from behind the curtain into the mainstream. So the whole take on the coming year in space was a background of space war. And I know that uh, Stephen's going to have some very cogent things to say about this. Obviously, my perception is that we are being set up for when we find anyone out there who is not from Earth, and that's going to be a major part of tonight's discussion. Will that happen in 2023 uh, or will it not? Uh, the context, the position, the posture is going to be uh, they are potential enemies. This appears to be what this network special repeated as far as I know three times in the last couple of days appears to be setting the ground for. So against that backdrop, now you want to move down to item number two. Uh, as you know, we've been following a lot of these uh, return missions to the moon, including some from countries which have never gone to the moon before, like South Korea. And one of the things I've discovered that we're going to talk about in some detail later on in the program is that some of these players, some of these nations or commercial activities which are going to the moon, some of them for the first time ever, they appear to be leaking information regarding the real moon, the moon with artificial extraterrestrial structures on it, this incredible lunar-wide dome but they're not announcing it as a scientific or engineering discovery. They're posting it on these various websites, just like it's some kind of artistic logo, and you're supposed to think of it, unless you are in the know, as just a background, not relevant to real data coming from real missions to the real moon. And I have two examples. Number two, this is what I found on the uh, Denuri uh, website, which is listed there right underneath the title. Denuri Moon Third Dome Logo Enhanced. It turns out that what they're doing is they're putting together real lunar images from somewhere. That's the image you see in number two. And over that image, they are superimposing artistic graphics, lettering, logos, typeface, fonts, the usual thing you would do if you were creating uh, an art piece as opposed to uh, real information of a scientific bent. And when you look at their galleries where they list images, 
that have been acquired by the spacecraft, of which there are almost none, and none since Denuri, which is the South Korean mission, unmanned, about a 1,500-pound spacecraft carrying three different sets of cameras, as well as a bunch of other very complex and very sophisticated scientific instrumentation to measure, among other things, the moon's magnetic field. When you look at the galleries where the imagery from Denuri should be posted since they arrived back on December 17th, there is nothing new. Now, as I've said to some of my uh, friends and colleagues over the last week, we were kind of gearing up to do this uh, New Year's night show. Uh, this is bizarre. Every time a nation goes to the moon and manages to get there, at least as far as lunar orbit, and I'm talking now about the Israeli mission, the Indian mission, uh, the Japanese missions, certainly U.S. missions, the first thing the new players do when they arrive at the moon is to brag. They publish all kinds of neat imagery from lunar orbit. Denuri, the South Korean unmanned mission on which a NASA camera called the Shadow Cam is quietly flying, courtesy of Dr. Mike Malin, and I do think the title Shadow Cam is so elegant at so many Dickinsonian levels for that experiment. It weighs, by the way, 33 pounds. For this mission, for the first time ever, when a new nation or a new commercial venture arrives in lunar orbit, they have taken and posted zero new images as of tonight. Zero new images. Instead, new imaging coming off as artwork graphics is appearing mysteriously and spontaneously kind of throughout the website in various categories for areas of the website you can explore to look at various details of the mission, such as the amazing graphic in number two. Because not only does it show what looks like a normal graphic uh, in terms of art, but that whole moon on the bottom is a real photograph. It's in color, and it shows in stunning clarity all the physical features of this lunar-wide dome that we've been reporting on now from the Artemis mission, the NASA mission testing the uh, manned spacecraft that's going to go back to the moon with people in the next uh, year or so, sometime toward the end of 2023, early 2024. And yet it's not listed as data, it's not listed as evidence, it's not listed as scientific information, it's merely posted as a graphic. The same with number three. This appeared on the homepage several days ago, and it shows an astonishing moon which has no business looking like that at all. Because as you know, the moon is airless, um, it's a vacuum, the atmosphere that it has as measured by both the Apollo missions and by the Indian Chandra missions that have subsequently followed Apollo by about 40 years and sampled the actual atmosphere with mass spectrometers. So we're not looking at remote sensing, we're looking at actual molecules entering instruments and being reported in terms of their atomic weight, you know, their uh, ion configuration, whether they're molecules or atoms, things like that. Uh, we know that the lunar atmosphere is like one trillion trillion trillionth of the density of the Earth's atmosphere and has zero, zero optical effects on anything, except when you look at these photographs. Now look at number four. This is an enlargement that's been enhanced in terms of uh, sharpening and detail, and and actually I've I've kind of put a couple of images together to give us more tonal range. This is what a special camera on the Denuri spacecraft call a pole cam or a polarimetry camera, meaning a camera which measures the polarization of light. Light vibrates in various planes. Circular polarization is when it vibrates in a 360 circle. Plane polarization is when light bounces on a particular angular configuration at one angle and you can use filters to filter out the background and only amplify that particular 
polarization. This camera has several filters and two cameras which are wide angle that can measure supposedly the polarization coming from the surface of the moon during the Denuri mission. Well, this image, number four, is an enlargement of what I believe to be, but of course there's no caption, no scientific information, no detail at all, but from the logic of the instrumentation and the logic of the geometry of the moon we are seeing, it was taken in space by Denuri en route to the moon before the spacecraft crossed the lunar orbit for the first time on this long, looping, extended, slow boat to China technique, which gets them to the moon uh, not directly in three days like Apollo, but takes them like four months going the slow boat route. But they save a tremendous amount of energy in doing that. So you can send a heavy spacecraft on a light rocket and get there if you just trade velocity for time. So that's what they did, and I almost know exactly where in space that item number four, that photograph, had to be taken, and it had to be taken by the pole cam, the polarimetry camera through a polarizing filter, because why? Well, we know from Earth experiments and data from centuries ago that when light is bounced off glass, it is polarized which means if you want to find the glass of the ancient dome around the moon, you take images through a polarimetry polarizing filter, which will suppress the background, amplify the polarized reflections from the glass, and voila, there is your dome. And that's what we apparently are seeing in image number three, image number four, image number two, and later on in the morning, we'll get to uh, uh, some other images that they have posted in this very oblique, tangential fashion, where obviously somebody is leaking, and it apparently is being done with the highest level um, permissions from those running the South Korean space program. And they're giving us what we should be seeing, but of course, they're not saying a scientific word about it. No press conferences, no captions, no statements, no explanations. It's like if you understand the science, you understand what they're doing. If you don't, you're up a creek without a paddle. Item number five and six. Um, we're looking here, and, and actually we'll, we'll do this when we get into probably hour number two, because I want to bring Rick on. Um, Rick... Um, um, uh, Levine is a very, very interesting guy. I've known him for decades. Um, I never realized that we would be discussing, uh, among other things, uh, hyperdimensional physics. Uh, he's a professional astrologer. He's become a respected leader in the global astrology community. He is past president of the Washington State Astrology Association, um, co-founder of StarIQ.com a founding trustee of Kepler College and co-author of eight years of Barnes & Noble's annual Your Astrology Guide. And there's so much more you can read his web page there on the other side of midnight. Rick, welcome back to the other side of midnight and to 2023. It's always a pleasure to be here, Richard. And, and I have to admit that when the show started this evening, and there was a bit of technical meltdown just prior to going on. All I could think of is the fact that Mars and Mercury are retrograde. Mercury just turned retrograde. And of course, you know, technical snafus are not uncommon. You know, people say that all the time these days, but I don't think they understand physically what's going on. When planets... Oh, I do. Yeah, but the audience... So why don't <laughs> you... I'm sure you do too. Why don't you explain to the audience why this cliche now, Mercury retrograde actually has real physics meaning in communications, electronics, and even human relations. Well, it, it really actually comes from a few different directions, and I have a strong feeling you'll add another one when I'm done. First of all, uh, just like being in a train or in a subway car in New York City, when there's a train on the track right next to you and you're going faster than it, it looks like it's going backwards. It's not really going backwards, but when every planet 
real planets, meaning Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and everything else out there, when they, on their normal path, get closer to Earth than they are at any other time in their cycle, they're like that train on the track next to us. We lose perspective, and they look like they're going backwards. So the first thing to understand is that when a planet is retrograde, Mercury included, it means it's closer to Earth than it usually is. And you can almost think of the radio station coming in louder than one that's distant. Number two, and you know, and and you know, it, it, it's really interesting, but this may be even um, more important um, that when a planet goes retrograde. It's almost like it's stirring up the field because from Earth's point of view, it actually appears to be going backwards. And so it's almost like like stirring the stew and then all of a sudden stirring in, in, in an opposite direction. Yeah, I'd, I'd liken it to stirring the cream in your coffee when you pour it in backwards. Okay, yeah, that, 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 that one works for me. Um, but But I think that more than anything... You know, from a standpoint of, um, of, of, of a quantum perspective, everything happens in relationship to something else. And so we're looking at a distinct relationship between um, the Earth and these various planets. And when their signals are so close to Earth and they get louder, it's like we, we can't handle it. The, the technical snafus that are associated with Mercury retrograde are simply because there's more information coming and going. We, we, we kind of work ourselves into a place. It's almost like the old telephone operators. Yeah, they reach a point where they're plugging these things and making connections to making yeah. calls, and the lines are so flooded, they just quit. They give up. They can't do it. And that's what happens um, often in a retrograde. The, the other thing of note, though, is, and Johannes Kepler actually wrote about this, and that is that because Mercury is the fastest moving of the planets from Earth's perspective, when it apparently slams on its brakes and goes backwards, we know it doesn't, it just looks like it does, that's the most radical change. It's like being in a little Ferrari going, you know, 80 miles an hour, slamming on the brakes and going into reverse, you'd notice it. But if you were in, a, in an 18-wheeler, if you were in an 18-wheeler truck, and moving yeah, Rick, really hang slow. on a second. I'm hearing cross-talk on blog talk, Keith. I'm, I'm hearing Barbara, so if we can... I need the whole thing. Okay, okay. Uh, Barbara, we don't need, you know, uh, there's some kind of a crossed wire. Rick, you're hearing it live right now. We're having a technical problem. Um, to me... You just need to mute Barbara. Okay, well, okay, but I'm going to need that pot when I get to the break, so... Okay, uh, Rick, sorry about so, that. So the final punchline of this, that, that is right. That was a typical Mercury retrograde, just too much happening at once. But if you were in an 18-wheeler going like a quarter of a mile an hour, just creeping along, and it then went into reverse, you almost wouldn't notice it. That's why the Mercury retrograde is so noticeable, because the apparent change of direction happens so fast Compared to, let's say, when Pluto turns retrograde, it barely moves one degree of arc over a two-month period of time, whereas Mercury, the retrograde, is almost instantaneous. You know, I've noticed a real-world non-laboratory example, which I've been trying to pin down, and that is LED lights. Everybody, you know, has switched from incandescents to LEDs, and and some years ago, um, I took out the fluorescents in the kitchen and uh, put in LEDs, and one of them has now gone on the blink, except it hasn't. If I keep it on continuously, it will come back to life, and for a day or two, it will mm -hmm. shine normally, and then it will begin to flicker, and then it goes into this kind of dormant mode where you can barely see it, and uh, it's, it, it's, it's there, but it's not there, and then much later and i'm still hearing barbara in the background and i've got uh, i've got uh, three four muted uh, keith um, no she has to mute herself from you you can mute her from skype if you have to yeah but that would mute the rick no i'm talking about in skype you can mute her 
on her screen, you can click on the three dots and select mute. If she doesn't mute, you can oh, mute her. Okay, well, that's more. Okay. Rick, I'm sorry. We're, I didn't really mean the show and tell to kind of come up in your segment, <laughs> but uh, here we are. But, you know, Richard, the three largest internet outages that have occurred since the internet, since the World Wide Web went live, I'm talking about large-scale Cisco router down, down um, you know, regional outages. The three largest occurred on the day that Mercury, uh, these are over a period of 20 years, on the days that Mercury actually um, stationed, meaning that it was still in order to change direction. Because a planet changing direction um, is like a pendulum. It has to stop in order for it to change direction. And that's the most potent time of, of a retrograde. So there is a real phenomenon there. Wow. Well, I know that with this weird LED light, ever since I put it in, and then it kind of flaked out. I've used it as a kind of a backdrop to monitor the rise and fall of the physics, because the it's it's so sensitive. In you know, I'm not in a laboratory, obviously, with very expensive millions of dollars of equipment, but the but the technology is so sensitive that slight changes in the physics change the electrical conductivity of the chips that make an LED light bulb work. And those subtle changes also affect computers. They affect anything which is digital. So basically, oh, yeah. we're setting up a world where with subtle changes of the physics, with planets going retrograde, whole swaths of our civilization could die for a while because the people that run everything, they pretend not to know this physics is real and it actually is running everything in the background, including consciousness yeah well and of course uh, i i'm not sure if you, uh, we've never spoken about this online richard but i don't know if you're familiar with robert john and the uh princeton engineering anomalies research center and the whole ex experimentations over a dozen years of the interface of consciousness with computer chips you're talking um, about I mean, the there's no question at all that when we get rattled our computers respond you're talking about the so-called eggs the princeton eggs all around the well, world that's, yeah yeah that, that i think that's part of a whole larger scenario and they're supposed to be measuring randomness and when the when when background becomes more coherent and non-random they respond and they produce results and they are tabulated. And um, the the biggest success they had was 9-11, except it occurred four hours before the event, which introduces an asynchronicity in terms of time in three dimensions versus time in other dimensions. I mean, this is not simple. This makes relativity well, in, in look fact, like... In fact, one a, of the things that, that they discovered at Princeton was that that um, human uh, thought could could actually impact a random number generator to generate odd or even numbers, but they could do it actually in displaced time. I mean, the, the results of this, um, you know, uh, boundaries of consciousness, um, mar margins of reality is the name of Robert John's, you know, in-depth book after this whole thing. Um, you know, kind of uh, was said and done. The that that the engineering research center now has closed, but um, but their work is tremendous. Okay, hold it there. We're at the bottom of the hour. My first guest on this New Year's night, day number one of 2023, trying to look ahead using the physics, what I call hyperdimensional astrology, as a kind of a long distance search radar is eminent astrologer, world-class Rick Levine. And we'll get back to what's going to happen, hopefully, in 2023. Mercury retrograde notwithstanding, you're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership cost $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight. This is the first day or the first night of the new year, January 1, 2023. And we're talking with Rick Levine, who is a renowned world-class... Do you mind when I keep calling you a hyperdimensional astrologer? Because that's really what you guys are all doing, except nobody has taken the title, and I think you should be the first. Right. Well, the word that I typically use... To describe my work is quantum astrology, but it is hyperdimensional. It is, I mean, even just extending into the realm of time immediately moves it out of this dimension. And there's obviously something that makes astrology work as precisely as it does that eludes three and even four dimensional reality. Okay, having cleared that up. <laughs> um, what the heck is going to happen in 2023 from very non-hyperdimensional perspectives? And we're going to get into those in the second hour with uh, Stephen and Barbara. Uh, I'm forecasting, and I've been pretty accurate on these on the political side, come to think of it, that 2023 could be gangbusters, could be could blow everybody's minds, blow their socks off. It could change the entire paradigm. Are we seeing any tremors in the force from an astrological perspective for the next year? We, we certainly are. And I've been doing lectures recently and writing articles about 2023 because that's what, what, what we astrologers do. And in a way, um, it's like we're finally being released <clears throat> from the swamp, the sludge, the molasses of um, of January, February, March of 2020. I mean, really, the the astrological events that occurred at the beginning of 2020 set the stage for what uh, for what occurred in 2020, 2021, and even into 2022. The eclipse, as we talked about a couple of months ago on online here, Richard, the eclipse on election day. Um, in the United States, the uh, lunar eclipse was was a turning point. But with Mars retrograde, even on Election Day, and Mercury now retrograde until mid-January, Mars turns direct the end of January or January 18th, um, Mercury turns direct, then Uranus, the last of the outer planets, which has been retrograding, turns direct. We're going to feel it, it's almost like 2023 is here in name and number and we're excited and we're jazzed, but we're frustrated because it ain't going to move as fast as we want it to. It's not going to be until February, March, even late March and April when some very powerful ripples occur. Pluto leaves the sign of Capricorn and dips its toe into Aquarius. Uh, Pluto is the slowest moving of the astrological planets. Um, it's been in Capricorn for nearly 20 years. And as it moves into Aquarius, it's in March, 
it's going to create major ripples. And then Saturn, which is the planet of three-dimensional reality, of the limits of our sensory mechanisms, if you will, um, Saturn um, it moves into Pisces. It changes signs also in March. And so what happens is that even though the year has started, we're going to feel the thunder. We're going to feel um, the, the, the excitement beginning to manifest come March, April. And it really is going to take us through the summer. But there's a lot of change on the playing field from an astrological point of view. It's not as significant as new events happening based upon how do I say this, based upon interactions between the planets. It's more that we're moving into new territory. It's like we're being ejected from whatever it was that we've been in for the past three-plus years. Hmm. So your completely separate approach from mine is converging the 2023 beginning like uh, early, early spring, February, March, is going uh, to... Yeah. Is really going maybe even March, maybe even March, April. I think we'll feel some of it in February, but but again, I think that we're going to still be a bit frustrated by it's not moving as fast as we thought it would. We're not moving. Uh, it feels like we're still maybe caught in a riptide that's pulling us backwards. But this is surface stuff. The deep currents right now are moving forward. Wow. Now, can we say anything specific in terms of? Areas, subjects, people, uh, events. Mm, no, <laughs> great oh. disappointment. Okay, um, you know it's reality unfolds in you know ac according to um, very specific archetypes, but it does it in a multivalent manner, meaning that there's so many different ways in which an archetype can express. I think one of the dangers is putting too much uh, limitation on what unfolds. I mean, I can tell you that the energy is moving fast now, but on a personal level, we're not getting as far ahead as we think we might. We're, we keep feeling like we're close, we're close, we're there, and then we feel like we're, we're, we've moved backwards a bit. Well, is and that... I can tell you that energetically by the end of March, we're going to be on a rocket ship. We're going to be going somewhere. Oh, my. Now, is that because there is a time lag between consciousness, which is not physical, it's hyperdimensional, and physical 3D reality, biology, chemistry, uh, just the normal physics of, of inertia, things proceed much faster at the level of mind and consciousness than in the real world. You know, maybe, but you, you stated a principle that is actually something that I've talked about a lot. Um, you, you know what the lag of seasons is. Yeah, sure. Astrologically, we have that same thing when an event occurs and it almost takes um, um, a few days, a week, a month, maybe even a few years sometimes on the more powerful, slower moving cycles for things to actually manifest from meta physical. Well, okay, or well, George is going to come on. George is going to come. I'm sorry, Richard. Go a, ahead. George is going to come on the third hour, and I'm sure she'll have something to say about this. But for those people who don't know what Rick just said in terms of <laughs> physics, real world. I keep saying real world. I'm talking 3D. Three-dimensional world, yeah. yeah. Because the Earth is basically a lot of water on the surface, huge oceans, very deep. When the sun hits the Earth, like, you know, bringing a kettle to boil on a stove, it takes a time lag between the time the heat input and the response of soaking up enough heat in the oceans to change the weather. And it's about a month, so... You know, your peak heating in the Northern Hemisphere is August. The actual summer heat really doesn't start hitting till late August, September. And winter the same way. The, the coldest months are not December, uh, the shortest year, the solstice, when we get the least sunlight. It's about right. January, February because of this heat storage of the oceans. So you're saying between the 3D reality of physics and matter and the hyperdimensional reality of consciousness and thought and inclination, there is this lag very similar to the ocean lag on Earth. I am saying that, however, 
that's more observable when it comes to um, collective, uh, historical, cultural, geopolitical, economic uh, um, um, effects. When it comes to personal effects, we often feel it m much faster. So that if it's just something that you are experiencing, likely you're getting it almost right away. Whereas if we're talking about a revolution in a country, that may be two or three months or even a year after the astrological event uh, event hits. Does but I do think it's important to understand, Richard, that, that the reason why things won't really begin to un, uh, unfold at a, at a rapid rate um, until March is because Mars, during it, any planet during its retrograde period, goes um, forward and then backward over a certain area and then forward over that area again. And until it's not just the fact that the planets are turning direct, Mercury and Mars in January, it's going to take them until late February and the middle of March to get into new territory. Now, we astrologers call that the planetary shadow, the, uh, the retrograde shadow. And so between the between Mercury and Mars moving out of their shadows in late February and in March, and then the additional factor of Saturn, a slow 30-year cycle, and Pluto, the slowest 250-year roughly cycle, that those two planets are changing signs, that those two planets are changing signs um, in March, and that will thrust us uh, forward. So they're literally physically against the backdrop of the stars. They're changing signs, configurations, constellations. And these are like a sine wave. When you go from one sign to another, the, exactly. si the sign goes positive, negative, positive, negative um, in alternating fashion. Um, now, in terms of this lag, is part of it due to the fact that there is, I would almost call it um, social inertia, in terms yes. of consciousness, that yes. those of us that are really tuned in, we're responding much quicker than the middle of the curve, which is watching networks, watching mainstream media, watching social media, talking to each other. Their realities are very different, and it takes time for changes to manifest when you have this huge social consciousness, which is basically inertially moving much slower. You explained it very, very well, and when I teach this, it takes me an hour and a half to get to where you just got to in like <laughs> in like one minute. But you, you know that's exactly correct. You you got it. So it's part of this. We're we're manifesting realities, but more likely we're we're literally not open as much as we should be to respond as quickly to new realities which are coming in from cliched word the ether. Well, that's true. And, you know, w many of us are familiar with the work of Thomas Kuhn, who wrote the, you know, the structure of scientific revolution. Yep. And and basically it's science, which theoretically should adopt new ideas when they're experimentally proven, basically adopt new ideas while the old wave dies out. <laughs> I am living proof of this because I have been talking for literally at least a decade, probably longer about this dome wide lunar phenomenon all yes, over the moon, this incredible layered glass ET super engineered structure. And I have people in our own ranks, other researchers saying, well, you know, it's hard to, 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 to believe. And it has, to me, it's not about belief. It's about looking at the data, but there's this incredible inertia because we've never encountered extraterrestrial super civilization technology before and as i keep saying now in the last few weeks what did we expect we go and find kmart no <laughs> you know arthur c clark any you know advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic or i can think of some other cliches you know sherlock holmes when you've eliminated the possible the only thing that remains is the impossible but there's huge inertia to get people to kind of switch gears and begin to consider the unbelievable as part of their normal reality. It's true. 
you know, the the thing about sufficiently advanced technologies being perceived as magic uh, by by Arthur C. Clarke, um, uh, that that's that's Clarke's third law. Yep. And 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 as you may know, he said, "I'm stopping at three because it was good enough for the two Isaacs." <laughs> <laughs> And not everyone, I'm sure, would, would would get that or would understand that. He's referring to the three laws of motion by Isaac Newton and the three laws of robotics by Isaac Asimov. Yes. Well, I knew one of them. <laughs> Unfortunately, I arrived too late to know the other one. So, yeah. okay. So we're we're dealing with this amorphous freight train coming at us. We know in the March-April time frame, it's going to hit us. How is it going to affect different people? In other words, can where you put your consciousness reduce the shock? Is it going to be that much of a paradigm shift? Yeah, I, I, I think so. And I don't know it's going to happen. I don't know that it's going to happen all in March and April. But I think what's happening is that that um, there's, you know, there's a, been a bifurcation, obviously, and it's not unlike the uh, the bifurcation in the time machine, where there's the Eloy and the war, warlocks, the the um, um, the people who lived underground and and managed the machinery, and the simple people who lived uh, upstairs on the surface of Earth in the Garden of Eden. And in some ways, we have gone through or are going through that kind of bifurcation. And there's a whole portion of humanity that's basically saying, hell no, I won't go because it's a, they're fearful of this change that's so deep. That's not just about E.T. It's about A.I. You know, it's about it's about posthumanism. It's about it's about evolution hitting the the fan. You know, and basically it's like a cancer metastasizing. It's like evolution has reached a breaking point where the complexity is going to do something that no one can quite put their finger on, um, at least in a rational basis. And because people are so afraid, yes, they're the ones that are going to suffer the most. You know, there are people who are already... Um, you know, living in the future, so to speak. There are people who have embraced or accepted these changes that are unfolding, even though we don't even quite get the full, you know, uh, gist of, of, of how big these changes are. But I think that the way in which we can best prepare ourselves and, and, um, and, and, what's the, and strengthen uh, ourselves um, is to basically be adaptable. Is basically to be, you know, whether that is the, you know, announcement, you know, of full disclosure, or whether it's uh, some other new breakthrough that occurs. They're going to occur rapidly throughout the year, and I think we just need to kind of set our expectations aside and be open to it as it unfolds. If I understand correctly, the Princeton experiment with the eggs was looking at random number generators, meaning little digital devices that just spit out total randomness, and they actually use some noise sources to, to, to input those numbers. And then when major world-changing, consciousness-changing events occurred, that random number generator would go less random, and the computer's monitoring would signal that as a, as a tremor in the force, to use a, another cliché. What I'm wondering, because time now turns out to be incredibly malleable and, and mutable, whether that configuration of astrology, of the physics of the planets, of their relationship geometrically, which is what is modulating the background ether and consciousness, does that have premonitional shock waves echoing back through time before the actual configurations? arrive uh, i w i would answer undoubtedly um although uh i mean look look there is a whole um branch of modern theoretical physics um that has now entered into an experimental phase called retrocausation and retrocausation is how does the future impact the present how does the present impact the past wow do we remember who's doing this 
Because I've seen uh, it somewhere, but I don't remember the specifics. Well, one of the people who kind of led this whole thing in physics um, is this guy named Jack Sarfati. Do you know oh, Jack yeah, Sarfati? I know Jack. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so Jack Sarfati basically had this kind of in the spirit of the um, Einstein, you know, the, the Copenhagen uh, um, thought experiments. He had this thing that, um, that, was, that went like this. Imagine you're a 14-year-old boy sitting at home, your telephone rings, you pick it up, and it's you from 50 years in the future calling you to tell you what you need to do in order to get to where this consciousness is. Does that break any laws of physics? And well, he concluded, and Jack is, is a brilliant mathematician. I mean, uh, I, I, I know my math and he loses me by the third or fourth line of anything he does. Um, but um, basically, he claimed that um, it does not break any laws of physics. And he was almost kind of laughed out of the American physics community. He ended up going to... Uh, um, to England, and uh, he taught physics under David Boehm at uh, um, Burke. I can't think of the name of the college. It'll come to me in a moment. Um, but um, but he kind of now is back in the United States, and there's an entire there's a you know annual retro causality um, you know um, conference of leading edge physicists, and basically it has something to do you know with the same concept that Stephen Hawking came up with to describe why black holes don't absorb everything, why magnetic radiation escapes from a black hole. It, it has to do with some form of quantum randomness. And again, the mathematics uh, evade me. But in answer to your question, I have no doubt at all that the future is constantly informing and creating the present. And in fact, as an astrologer, people say, can you change the future? And my kind of tongue-in-cheek answer is no, but you can change the past, which changes <laughs> the present, which alters the trajectory. Wait, 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 wait. And, people How? Go, and people go, people go, wait, you can't change the past. And I say, you know, have you ever been in therapy? You know, that's what therapy does. You know, uh, what what about Columbus discovering America or the first Thanksgiving that you thought or Santa Claus that you knew was true at one age and now you have a different you know perspective? The past is just as flexible as the future. How do you avoid the classic grandfather paradox, which is, you know, you have a time machine, you go back, you you somehow wind up killing your grandfather, so your father's not born on your on your father's side, then you're not born. But how could you then exist to go back and kill the guy who created you? In other words, how do you avoid the paradox? Yeah, yeah, you've just stepped into my favorite realm of science fiction. <laughs> oh, I love time I think, travel stories. See, the yeah, only way I, think, I can I think, think of I think it... the first really excellent one was by a tenured physics professor um, 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 in uh, UC Irvine, um, and he wrote a book called Timescape. It was probably like 1975 or 76. Was that Benford? Was, huh? Was that Greg Benford? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, a, a brilliant, hardcore yes, scientist definitely. and hard science fiction writer. So, again, how in this model do we avoid the paradox? Unless, I, unless... Go ahead, I don't know. Well... Suppose reality is not just one reality, it branches, which is another model in mainstream quantum physics, and every reality is separate, so you can, in different timelines, go back and kill your grandfather or, you know, do something that winds up with his death, but it doesn't affect your timeline, it affects the one you do it in. Yeah, I... I... I don't know how that works, but that's a good, easy way out. <laughs> well, but it's also buttressed by a lot of other data that we're not living in just one universe. There are yeah. multiple parallel universes, mm -hmm. and, they're, and they diverge from what we think of as reality, almost like moving across a phonograph record. And the farther you get from the center of the whole, the more different the music is, in a crude analogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Richard, uh, Rick. Yeah. That's Ron, Ron Gerbron. 
I believe. Yeah, I was. Well, as usual, Richard, you're hitting the same questions that I would have asked if uh, I I'd been there. But it is the, the crux of the grandfather par- paradox was it came from a time when they didn't really take the idea of uh, parallel timelines very seriously, and so that it was you know it was assumed that you would go back to the same timeline you came from. But uh, nowadays, all the cool kids are thinking uh, the, um, well, you could call it the Avengers solution because that was the way they resolved their time paradoxes in there. And it's true. Your timeline continues from wherever you are. That's the forward direction. It's not necessarily the forward or backward direction of the main timeline that you came from. You have created another one there. The old idea was that everything that happened in a slightly different way through the forces of randomness uh, or whatever would be another timeline. And the new one is that you have to initiate it. It's your fault, you know, that there's a new uh, timeline. The potential for it is there in the ether. When you say it's your fault, you mean you have to intentionally decide you're going to jump timelines somehow. Yeah. Yeah, you I have to take the responsibility. I, Who's who is talking? I know we're on a radio. Oh, that's show, that, that, that's Ron oh, Gerbron. Hi, Rick, it's Ron. I just wanted to toss in a question. I didn't want to take it over. Go back to what? Go back to whatever you were saying. Rick, go ahead. Who's Ron? No, who's Ron? Oh, Ron Gerbron. He's one of our enterprise mission researchers who's been on Red more than you have. Ah, okay, good. Uh, I wasn't doubting his. I wasn't yeah. doubting his credibility I mean, here on the radio. I was just wondering who I was yeah. with. Several years ago, apropos what Ron was going to say, and he'll be back, you know, shortly, um, Robin and I experienced something which has to be crossing timelines because we were in, at this conference in Arizona, and she, we had Morala with us, uh, who was our dog. And, you know, when you have a dog with you, you have to pay attention to dog and not much else particularly with Morala, who was very independent-minded. Anyway, we went back to the room, and she found that she'd left her pocketbook uh, in the dining room. So I went back to the dining room, and the staff looked, and I looked, and we couldn't find the pocketbook anywhere. And they were the cleaning crew was coming out and all that, and I went back and I said, well, obviously somebody stole it. So this made for a very bad night, all right, you can imagine. Next morning, we go to the dining room, sit down at the same table, because, you know, you kind of, Mark out your favorite spaces. Territory. Yeah. yeah. And there under the table was her pocketbook. Mm-hmm. And there's no way I can explain that in any three world scenario, three D scenario because the cleaning crew, if they'd found it, they would have turned it in. Uh, everything was in it. Nothing had been taken. It was there yeah. sitting, waiting to be discovered by us the next morning. And that happens a lot, you know, when you misplace. It does. It happens more than we realize. When you misplace something, I mean, it used to become a running joke. We'd misplace something. We both say to each other, well, just wait, it will turn up. And lo and mm-hmm. behold, it turned up. And it's like we were moving like the head on a, on a computer disc or a needle on an old-fashioned vinyl record from one track to another track to another track where in some of those tracks the thing was not there in other tracks or our original our home track we were back where it was normal and i have no idea whether that's real or memorex or whatever okay we're at the top of the hour my guest this morning is rick levine i believe we're going to have to goodnight him we'll do that with a little ceremony at the top of the hour you are on the other side of midnight my name is richard c hoagland we shall return Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed 
that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.